Good morning. So I've been told if I go above this line of the speakers right here, it might create some feedback. So if I see anybody napping, I know what to do, all right? Hopefully I'm a little bit more exciting and we don't need that. Um, C3 has been in a series called We Have Questions. Has anybody had a big question in your life before? Yeah, probably a few. Do I take this job? Do I do this? Do I do that? Questions, although they can be confusing sometimes, they're good. They're a tool that we can use as humans to either just simply enjoy by getting to know someone, getting to learn about a subject, or to make our life better. We can learn about something and then apply it and live a better life. So I don't really know you all, so I have some questions, all right? Is that fair? All right, so I was going to have these uh, up on a screen, but I'm aware that we couldn't do that, which is fine. So I'm just going to read a lot of stuff off here. The first question I have is cold or warm weather? Raise your hand if you're for cold weather. Raise your hand if you prefer warm weather. All right. <laughs> well, I feel for you all right now. Uh, another question that I have is what temperature should the thermostat be set at then? <laughs> so I'm going to give some categories. If you think, and this is for the winter, for the heat, if you think that it should be between 60 to 65, raise your hand. Who are you people? I am glad I don't live with you. 60, is there anybody like, like in the 55 to 60 range? Okay. Whew. I mean, you'd save money, but uh, you'd wear seven sweaters at once, and that, that's not fun. All right, uh, what about uh, the range of 65 to 70 for the, the, the thermostat? All right, yeah, I'm, I'm close to about... I, I notice I start off, you know, uh, my, my frugal sense is like, oh, let's have it at 66, and then the winter progresses, I say, oh, let's do 67, let's do 68, and by, like, February, I'm at, like, 72, you know? Anybody uh, in the 70 to 75 range for the therm thermostat? Whoo! I need to come over to your place and hang out. There we go. 75 to 80, anybody in that range? All right, I was going to say, beyond that, I feel bad for your furnace. It is working overtime. All right, another question, just to kind of have fun and get to know you all a little bit. Do you prefer to drive closer to the speed limit or over the speed limit? Let's be honest now. Uh, raise your hand if you uh, prefer to drive closer to the speed limit. Okay. What about over the speed limit? So now I know who was beside me on the highway when I drove here. When I was in Ohio, people go maybe 5 to 10 over, and then you cross the Ohio-Michigan border. People have places to be, I guess. They're not in Ohio. They, they have stuff to do. Um, and, and I noticed, you know, I was looking down, my, my cruise is at, you know, 82 on, on a uh, 70 highway, and I'm getting past. What is going on here? All right, this next question. Now, this might be divisive. Michigan or Michigan State? Now, I know we're closer to Michigan State. Raise your hand if you are more of a, a University of Michigan fan. All right, what about a Michigan State fan? What about none of them you don't care? All right, that's fair, too. 
So I saw a poll that was taken about 10 years ago, and it said that of out-of-Michigan residents, 34% consider themselves University of Michigan fans, and 33% consider themselves uh, uh, Michigan State fans. I'd be curious to see where that is. Uh, and speaking of uh, universities and with that comes sports, is there another game today by any chance? <laughs> I'm, I'm just seeing a lot of light blue out here. So um, I grew up as a, if you could have empathy with me with this statement, I grew up as a Cleveland Browns fan. And you switch, the, you know, you, the, well, that's fair. You know, some people would say, well, you switch to the Lions? That's still an upgrade somehow, so <laughs> best of luck to them in the game today. Um, we'll, we'll do one more, one more question here. Tea or coffee? Raise your hand, or, or we can have the category of neither. I'm seeing some heads being shook. No, uh, raise your hand if you prefer tea. Raise your hand if you prefer coffee uh, or another drink. What's, yeah, just anything else. Scotch, all right, there we go. If you're one of the people who keep your house warmer and you enjoy scotch, we got to hang out, so. All righty. I want to do that for fun. Uh, as I said, questions, they can help us get to know people. And now I know I don't obviously know you super well just because I know you like tea over coffee or Michigan State, you know. But my point is, questions are a great tool. And there's one big question that I think that we all have had in our life. How do we make the most of this thing? How do we squeeze this fruit for all it's worth? And how I have it worded today, how can we best live a fulfilling life? Well, I want to tell you, I don't have all the answers. I want to be very clear in that. There's a lot of books that are written, you know, nine steps to happiness, you know, do this plan, A, B, C, D, and then it'll all be peachy. Life just doesn't work that way. I've heard it said that, we are moist robots. What do I, I'm sorry I use the word moist. I know some people don't like that. But the point is, is that as much as we can think that we're kind of somewhat mechanical, we have feelings, we have emotions. But this question, how can we best live a fulfilling life? I think it's something that we have all have thought about. And we might think, oh, well, I finished college. I have it figured out. no. Nope, well, now I'm in my 30s. Now I've got this wisdom I got figured out. Now I've moved on to my 40s, got figured out now. The truth is, whatever stage you're at in life, this is your first time being there. So have grace and empathy for yourself. How can we best live a fulfilling life? As I said, I don't have all of the answers, but I kind of think of this question I love food. Anybody else there? I, I ask some questions about food, you know. It kind of helps me stay alive, so I, I have an appreciation for it. Um, and I think of this question as, what food needs to be present at the table of this question? And, and so for me, if that makes sense, I don't have all of the dishes figured out. I don't know what makes the great feast of a life exactly, but I've learned a few main courses that need to be there. And what I'm going to say today, it's going to be nothing new. 
we have some very smart people in this room, and you already know this. My hope today is to encourage and to remind you of what it takes. So this question, how can we best live a fulfilling life or what gives us the best chance? In a second, I'm going to give you what different traditions have said throughout the years. But before we do that, we're fortunate that we have some modern-day social science that can help point us to this question. There's a study that began in 1939. Maybe you are familiar with it. It's called the Harvard Study of Adult Development. And the point of it was to study what can help people flourish live the best life that they can. They wanted to study people all throughout their life. And as I was thinking about this study, I thought, okay, Harvard Study of Adult Development, that's an acronym that says HSAD. I was like, oh, man, that's, I don't know if I like that. But the study, it's fortunate. A lot of studies fold after 5, 10, 15, 20 years. It's now been going on for over 80 years. And they've studied a group of individuals. They started with uh, 267 men. And then they decided, hey, we should probably add their wives to this study. And then they uh, diversified even further from that. And the latest I've seen, they are now uh, studying uh, uh, 724 individuals. And not just the original people, but now their children. So what have they learned? 2009. There is an interview done with uh, the person who headed the study for over 40 years. To say that this person knew a little bit about the study, I think, is an understatement. And in this interview, he made a statement. He said, happiness, or the good life, basically, happiness equals love, full stop. Happiness equals love, full stop. And, and uh, afterwards, though, he started to think to himself, was I being rash? Did I just say that from, like, my own emotions, from my own viewpoints? You know, because I, you know, heard the Beatles song time after time on the radio, you know, all you need is love. Did I just speak from what I want? And so he reviewed everything that he could. And then he published an article in Positive Psychology News and the name of the article was, and I quote, I stand by my words. Happiness equals love, full stop. And my computer just decided to stop as well. There we go. Happiness equals love, full stop. Now, the current director of the study, speaking on this topic, he says, look, this isn't anything new. He says, this is uh, wisdom as old as the hills. And, and as we know, this has been around in so many different traditions. And in the Jewish tradition, there's a scripture that is, it's called the Shema, and it is basically the heartbeat of Judaism. And it says, uh, if you know this scripture, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And now I know that we all have different viewpoints regarding theology. I'm not trying to promote, oh, we need to love God or love God of the Judeo-Christian faith. What I'm getting at is it starts with the word love. 
And this is at the heartbeat. In fact, it's called uh, the Shema, the scripture. And Shema in Hebrew means hear. It says, be aware when you live this life with, uh, of love. And it's the time when the Israelites were going into uh, the land of Canaan. And it's basically this God in the Old Testament saying, I want it to go well for you, so let's start with love. In the tradition that I grew up in, the Christian tradition, you have probably, if you've ever been to a Christian wedding, you probably know this verse. Anybody know what I'm going to say? And now three things remain. Actually, so there is the 1 Corinthians 13, uh, uh, or uh, um, love never fails. But this one here is, and now three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is faith? Huh. That seems to be talked about a lot that the greatest is faith. But even according to the own tradition that I grew up in, it says, but the greatest of these is love. Other traditions. In the Baha'i faith, it says, love is a necessary tie proceeding from the realities of things through divine creation. It's the necessary tie. In Jainism, there is a set of scriptures from the 11th century And it's the set of 32 verses. And the first verse says, May I have love for all living beings. Now I'm talking about different faith and religious traditions. So let me offer someone who had a non-theistic view. Eric Fromm, in his book, Art of Loving, if you're familiar, a great book, he says, love is the only sane and satisfactory answer to the problem of human existence. It is the only sane and satisfactory answer. And then Martin Luther King, he kind of echoes this, and he says, I know that love is ultimately the only answer to mankind's problems, and I'm going to talk about it everywhere I go. I know it isn't popular to talk about it in some circles today. I'm not talking about emotional bosh. And and this is key, I think, here. I'm not talking about emotional bosh when I talk about love. I'm talking about a strong, demanding love. You know, I, I worry that when I come and I talk about love, that some people, and I think maybe even especially younger people, can think, oh, yeah, love, well, I love Sally or I love Oreos, you know, but it's way deeper. It's way robust, and it's not just romantic love. It often gets, uh, unfortunately, simplified just to that, but it's way more. And and there's so many different forms of love that can take, and we're not going to get all into that. Uh, But for Martin Luther King here, he says, I'm talking about a strong, demanding love, and obviously for him, it took on the form of justice because that was the need at the time. He saw the problem. He saw the need of himself, his fellow man, and humanity as a whole. And he said, I can meet this. Why not me? That's what love does. Love is an action. Uh, And in our uh, pre-talk, we talked about sometimes love can be somewhat elusive because, well, what's the definition of it? There's plenty of definitions, but if maybe if I could offer one simple one, love is a verb. Love is as love does, as Bell Hooks puts in her book, All About Love. Or as Bob Groff talks about in his book called Love Does, simply, love does. And we'll get more into that in a second. But here's one thing that I do want to mention. 
We can sit here and we can talk about love and we can have warm, fuzzy feelings. And, well, that's nice, but what does that do? One of my favorite authors and speakers on love, has anybody ever heard of Leo Biscaglia? Yeah, uh, I mean, just such, if you've ever heard him speak, whoo, talk about passion, wow. He says, and I, before I say this, I think that there are some outdated uh, uh, gender roles that he puts in this quote, but I do think he means well by it. He says, if he desired to know about automobiles, he would, without question, study diligently about automobiles. If his wife desired to be a gourmet cook, She'd certainly study the art of cooking, perhaps even attending a cooking class. Yet it never seems as obvious to him that if he wants to live in love, he must spend at least as much time as the auto mechanic or the gourmet in studying love. I'll give one more quote here. This is from Eric Fromm, and and this is a little bit longer here. But he echoes those words of Leo, and he says, if we want to learn how to love, We must proceed in the same way. We have to proceed if we want to learn any other art, say music, painting, carpentry, or the art of medicine or engineering. What are the necessary steps in learning any art? The process of learning an art can be divided conveniently into two parts. The first, the master of the theory. The other, the second, is the master of the practice. And then he says, if I want to learn the art of medicine, I must first know the facts about the human body and about various diseases. When I have all this theoretical knowledge, I am but no means competent in the art of medicine. I've learned all the theoretical knowledge. He goes on, he says, I shall become a master in this art only after a great deal of practice until eventually the result of my theoretical knowledge and the results of my practice are blended into one. So this morning I'm talking about how can we live a fulfilling life and I'm going to give a cliche answer to love with all that you can and if I could add a little bit, if it's a joyful love, that'll take you a lot further and I could go way in more into that. I, 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 but for brevity's sake, love and I think that one of the key characteristics is joy. But if we're going to be serious about this, if we're going to commit to this in our life, shouldn't we learn about it? Shouldn't we know about it? And I think that there's many of us in here who've given a great deal of time and thought to this wonderful subject, and I appreciate that out of you. And in fact, I want to give honor to C3 because this is a community It might be said in different ways. One week it might be talking about compassion. One week it might be about justice. One week it might be how to have empathy for for a friend or a neighbor. But what it all comes back to is we are learning how to be human, how to live in this full experience that we can, how to love in the best way that we can, how to be as empathetic as we can so that we can love ourselves because it's all relational, how we can love other people and how we can love the world at large. It's incredible that there is a community like this. And some of the values that C3 has, well-being, that's basically how can we love ourselves the best that we can. Common humanity, to know that we're not alone in this world. How can we love other people? 
And one of the great things about C3, I think, is open inquiry. Another value. That you don't have to believe a certain specific thing, but that you can come and you can join in the conversation because as I started off with, I know some things about love and living, but I would be a fool to say I've got it all figured out. And that's why we need each other. The study that I mentioned it's been going on for over 80 years now. And the individual who took over for George Valiant, the person who said uh, happiness equals love, full stop, uh, I heard him speak, and he gave uh, a little bit more depth to what he means by love. So love, all by itself, what is it? As Martin Luther King said, I think it's nothing but emotional bosh if it's just all by itself. You see, love when it's best uh, defined, I believe, is a verb. In a verb, what does a verb do? A verb gives action to a subject. And so, in our own lives, if we want to love, I think one of the greatest things that we can do is we can give love to ourselves, because love has to relate to something, has to give action to something, and then we can give love to others, and then we can give love to, to the world at large. And so, the, the new director of this study, he talks about this love in action, and he talks about the value of relationships because that's all that I'm saying right now. The relationship with ourselves, the relationship with our neighbor, the relationship with our world, and, and including our, our uh, climate and, and animals and all of those things. And he gets at how it is helpful when we can develop empathy, when we can develop different loving skills. And he gives three main points on how it uh, raises our ability uh, to have great relationships and how it uh, positively affects us. I'm not going to read these uh, uh, all the way out, but the first point is this. It simply says, the first is social connections are really good for us and that loneliness kills. It turns out that people who are more socially connected to family, to friends, to community are happier. They're physically healthier, and they live longer than people who are less well-connected. Do you feel thankful that you have a community this morning? That you have a, a pre-talk, that you have uh, uh, the, this gathering, that you have a post-talk, that you have dine with nine, that you have a book club and all these things. And I'm not saying that this is the only community, but I do look at C3 as a, as a very helpful community where people can bond, because when people bond over the things that matter the most in life, that creates intimacy, which is one of the strongest characteristics. Sternberg's triactic theory of love, intimacy is one of the strongest things. It can create attachment and release different chemicals in our brain that not only you know, just help ourselves, but it helps everybody, a concept of synergy. And then the relationships and the things that we learn here about loving and how to live a fulfilling life, it has the power to affect our relationships and everywhere that we go. Once again, I think C3 is so valuable for that. The second point, uh, uh, Robert Waldinger, the person who took over the study, he makes about good relationships. He says, the second big lesson that we learn is that it's not just the number of friends you have, and it's not whether or not you're in a committed relationship, but it's the quality of the close relationships that matter. Note what he said there. It's not that you're just in a committed, like, such as like a romantic relationship. Those can be good, 
but in so many different relationships. And can you have quality in those? Once again, when people are coming together over great values, it can raise the bar, it can set the standard higher for that to happen. And one more point behind this that he makes about good relationships. The third big lesson that we learned about relationships and our health is that good relationships, they're not just good for our bodies, but they also protect our brains. There's been a lot of talk about mental health, and that is good. And one of the greatest things, unfortunately right now, our nation is in a loneliness epidemic. Ten years ago, the stats said that one out of every five Americans at any time would say that they are extremely lonely. Ten years later, that number is now 33%. It's growing. Once again, this makes a community like this so valuable. And I'm not saying just because we're around people that we're not lonely. I want to give energy to that. I understand that, but statistically, it helps our possibility of not when we can be around people who share great qualities and we can build intimacy and quality with them. So the fulfilling life, yeah, it's somewhat cliche, love, but it goes way deeper. As Eric Fromm said, it is the only sane and satisfactory response to the problems that we have. And when we seriously consider our love and how we're developing it in all different ways, not just, you know, know, emotional feel-good, we can live better lives. And we can do that together. And I encourage you this morning, And I specifically use the word encourage. Here's why. Courage comes from the Latin. The core of courage is the word C-O-R, the root. Core in Latin means heart. What does heart often get associated with? Love. And just as we need our heart to pump life into all of our bodies so that we can live a good life, We have to have love pumped into everything that we do. And I think sometimes we can think of courage as one moment, bravery. And while that's true, fortunately for my heart, it just hasn't had one moment. Courage is a heartbeat. It's moment by moment. As Abraham Maslow said, we self-actualize moment by moment. It's doing what we need to do as much as we can, loving ourselves, loving each other. And so I encourage all of you to have courage. I don't know exactly where you're at in your life right now. I don't know the specific different things that you face, but I am encouraging you to meet it with love. Because at the end of the day, it's like the coach says, did you leave it all out in the field? Who cares what the scoreboard says? Did you leave it all on the field? Did you enjoy the game? Did you love the game? Did you leave it all out on there? And for me, I don't know what all my future holds. I don't know what all it entails. But I'll tell you this, I'm going to walk in love. And I'm saying a lot, but I'll say maybe one more thing here. 
I come from a, a Christian theological background. And there is always this talk of walking with God. And if I can be per, uh, uh, completely open, to be honest, I just don't know all about that. If you are someone who does have that faith, great. If you don't, that's okay too. But why I bring that up is to say, for me, in the tradition that I was taught, God is love. And if that's true, then the other reverse of that is true. Because if God equals love, then love equals God. Love equals the most ultimate thing that we can have and that we can do. And so when I walk with love, I get feelings of tranquility. In our name, in C3's name, it talks, you know, says spiritual connection. I think that's ultimately the most spiritual thing. I could go on, and as you can tell, I can be a little bit more, I can be passionate about this. But once again, I encourage you to walk in love, to learn about love, and to practice love for yourself and for all around you. Thank you so much for letting me share. Appreciate it. <laughs>